Hello, friend, and welcome to the Rise Collective podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jordan, and I'm honored to facilitate a place to gather and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Thank you for being here. If you find value in these episodes, you can become a patron and get exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash risecollective. Before we begin, let's call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. Hey, welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast. I'm Carrie Jordan, and this is episode 12. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Christina Pratt of the Last Mask Center. To be fully transparent, I was pretty surprised that Christina responded to my invitation to be on the podcast because in my world, she is a big deal. I've been listening to Christina's podcast, Why Shamanism Now, for years, and I consider her to be one of my greatest teachers. I was a little starstruck when I got to be on two Zoom calls with her, and I'm so honored to share this interview with you. First, I want to let you know that I have a new Patreon page where you can contribute to the production of the show. And when you do that, you get a ton of exclusive content from podcast guests and exclusive blogs that no one else sees besides patrons. Written by moi. The Patreon giveaway for this episode is a mini course. It's an introduction to shamanism basic skills. And you can access that video course on patreon.com slash risecollective. In this show with Christina Pratt, we are talking about, we really covered a lot in this show, and I was joking with her in the end and saying that this was like a very condensed version of what she talks about um, very in depth in all of her podcasts, Why Shamanism Now. So we really covered a lot of ground. We talk about the waves of shamanism and how we can work with these skills now to br- to dream the big dream together the importance of ancestral healing the four gates of initiation in life and how we are succeeding and failing at recognizing them in our culture the importance and the pitfalls of soul retrieval and the importance of energy body hygiene if you don't know christina i'm going to share some more about her here Christina Pratt opened the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing in New York in 1990. She's been serving clients on both coasts since then, and she opened the center in Portland in 2001. She has taught at the Omega Institute, Rose Center, Hollyhock, Brighton Bush Hot Springs, Sleeping Lady Retreat Center, in addition to the workshops that she produces for the Last Mask Center. She is a frequent and honored speaker for the American Holistic Medical Association and the local salons. In Christina's book, An Encyclopedia of Shamanism, she explores all kinds of um, different cultures in shamanism and explains the ins and outs of shamanism. And it The book is available through her website. I'll put it in the show notes. Her training began in 1986, and her shamanic work is a synthesis of studies with Ecuadorian, Tibetan, 
Tamang, and African shamans. The foundation for shamanic studies was also a place where she has learned and the Center for Intuitive Energy Processing. She also has a lot of personal shamanic experience and a personal shamanic practice. Um, She offers a lot of classes online in person um, that I'll share in the show notes, and she also offers healing sessions. So, once again, if you are interested in taking the shamanic basics class that I mentioned in the beginning, it's a mini course video course that I will post on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash rise collective and you can access it at the $3 a month level. Okay, let's get into this interview. Welcome Christina Pratt to the Rise Collective podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Carrie. I'm really excited to interview you and that's because I've been listening to your podcast, Why Shamanism Now, for years. So I consider you one of my greatest shamanic teachers. And I feel so grateful that you're so generous with your, with your wisdom um, in my experience. So I can't wait to share you with everyone in the Rise Collective community. Thank you, Carrie. It's an honor to be here. Great. Well... I want to start with sharing, um, I'm going to share a little bit about what I've heard you talk about often, which is the next wave of shamanism and how the next wave, what the previous wave of shamanism was, um, kind of what it consisted of and where we're going. And the way that I've heard you speak about this before is that now we really have a chance with these new perspectives to work with the other realms to create change and dream a new dream in our contemporary times. So this conversation um, is really going to be about what we need to stop doing, what we need to continue doing and what we need to start doing, what we need to begin. So Could you start by sharing a little bit about these different waves of shamanism for those who haven't heard you speak about this before? Okay, so I think, uh, especially when we're talking about what do we need to continue doing? So what are the aspects of the foundations of shamanism as a human experience around our whole globe? So not just shamanism as in capital S, shamanism, of Tuvan shamans from Siberia, um, which everyone does need to understand that that is the origin of the word, right? From and, Siberia. Yeah. And in that comes an actual definition of what a shamanic practitioner is. And, and, and it isn't everything mystical we don't understand. That's not a definition of shamanism. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it speaks to a particular kind of healer, operating in a community with other healers, other healers um, like medicine people working with plants or massage people that we would consider now massage therapists. So it's important if we're going to talk about shamanism to educate ourselves. Now that's a, a big endeavor. So just for now, let's just say 
we want to honor the healing arts and in particular the shamanic healing arts of the peoples around this globe that came to them from their first shaman. And so historically speaking, what we would consider indigenous first peoples, shamanic peoples around the globe had a first shaman that came and helped the people figure out how to live in a good way because the people couldn't figure it out, which to my ear sounds really familiar. Here we are again. The people of the planet cannot figure out how to live together in a good way, right? Okay, so this is why returning to the deep wisdom of what we would consider the ancient peoples from our perspective now is important because there are aspects that they really understood about how you work, have an everyday working relationship with your helping spirits, with your well ancestors, with the spirits of the land, um, with the medicine coming through, the new ones being born, all of these tending the gates of birth, tending the gates of death, tending the gate of initiation, and that all of these things were important if your human beings were gonna be good humans and thus be able to be humans who could live together with all of life in a good way. So that's the very, very original first wave of shamanism on our planet. And there are many, many peoples around the globe that are part of that, the origins really. So that, that is what we really need to honor as the first wave. The next place is because of colonization and um, uh, villainization. There was a lot of very active denigration of indigenous forms as colonizers came in and took over. Cultures were destroyed in many ways. Shamanism was often carried through in a culture at threat of one's life. I mean, in the United States, even until 1960, in some places it was illegal to have a drum. Oh my gosh. So there's a lot for people to actually educate themselves about this history. But if we look at it again, in terms of, okay, yes, and how do we do this better right now? This brings us to this, this, this kind of first wave of, in this rebirth of shamanism coming into really the collective awareness. And so this is what I've talked about on the podcast. And so this begins with people like Michael Harner and other people in that generation Essentially, you know, Iliade, in a sense, even before Michael, being willing to spend academic capital and say, these people are not just crazy people, that they are valid practitioners, and it would do well for us to study them with respect. Not that there are problems with what Iliade's research and his interpretation of things. Yes, there are. There are many problems with how academia has... the the lens through which academia has seen shamanism around the world. But the point is, here it is, you know, bubbling up into the collective consciousness of contemporary modern people in the Western world where people have fallen so far away from how do we live well with each other. Our history is rife with human beings treating other human beings very badly in many, many ways, which are very much still active today in our lives. And that makes for unwell ancestors. It makes for cultures that no longer tend the gate of initiation. It makes for children in adult bodies, and it makes for tons of mental illness. All of this is the foundation for like the United States as the Prozac nation. And now we're the, the opium nation. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, okay. So it lays the groundwork for that. So anyway, in this time, this, first wave of, you know, neo-shamanism coming into people's awareness happens. And in that time, there is a great deal of excitement from honest, 
valid excitement of people who have been disconnected from their spirit help finding old tools to reconnect in a, in a valid working relationship with their own helping spirits. And hallelujah, I say to that. I mean, hallelujah, the people who are causing the problem are now beginning to gain skills so they can become part of a solution to the problem. This is good. Okay, the fundamental goodness in that. The problem in that, of course, is the unconsciousness and the appropriation of different cultures, ways of doing this. And this is the distinction that I think is really important at this particular time. People had the possibility in this beginning to learn the skills again without taking on the forms that belong to cultures. That's appropriation, taking a culture's way of praying to the four directions. That's appropriation. Me choosing to go to the directions and ask, how can I begin to pray to you in a good way is mine. That's my relationship. And as long as I'm not stealing anybody else's forms, I'm going back to that time, like the first shaman time of saying, I don't know how to do this. How do I do mm. this? So that's- I love that distinction. Yeah, and that's the really right possibility in that first wave. Did you begin again, or did you just try to steal other people's stuff? <laughs> and yeah. are, you in, are you in your humility of, I'm a child and I don't know how to do this, mm -hmm. rather than just imitating what you may mm -hmm. have seen somewhere? Right, and thinking because I am a contemporary person, I'm also very civilized and educated that I actually don't need all of the same deep training and personal transformation that was actually part of the process of somebody in a coherent pre-contact shamanic culture becoming an actual shamanic practitioner within that culture. Because within those cultures, you also had cosmology that held the culture. And so that's a really important, so culture and cosmology are two things that are really missing in this first wave of this great return really to individual human beings realizing I am responsible for my relationship with spirit. As an adult, as a spiritual adult, I am responsible for my relationship with spirit and I need to cultivate the skills that allow me to do that. And then in doing that, I'm going to be forced to grow up emotionally and I need skills to do that. And so as long as people use, um, these skills to engage in that kind of humble, you know, I can do this my whole life and I will still be a child in this because as I remind my students all the time, we are not one generation in to our practice, not even one generation. We are, we are more than children. We are infants. And so, you know, behave appropriately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. To ask permission to pick up a rock. You, know, you ask permission, you ask how, that you, you begin again. And you begin again from a place of personal sovereignty, but you begin again, right? You don't just, and if you have been um, stealing people's stuff you know, for a decade and realize, wow, I've been stealing people's stuff. Let me lay down these forms and take from them the questions. And this is one of the great values in this first wave also as, because I've traveled and, and been with shamanic people in many different cultures to learn, but I'm trying to learn the questions I need to be asking. Back to the whole humble, I don't know how to do this. Okay, these people sacrifice goats. Okay, do I need to sacrifice goats here in North America? If not, what is an appropriate sacrifice? Is there, an, you know, like a, it's a lot of questions. So yeah, it's a lot of work. 
to not steal other people's stuff. <laughs> yeah. This is I, where we are. Yeah. I'm, I'm connecting what you're saying about finding the right questions to how you teach about journey work mm-hmm. as well. And I think that people can work with journey work to get, get the answers. Exactly. Things. Exactly. We can start again and we need to start again. And in doing that, you strengthen your relationship with your helping spirits. I mean, that's the other thing is it's in using the skills that we develop mastery with the skills. You don't develop mastery by having someone else tell you how to do it. You learn that way and then you need to go do it. You need to make a ton of mistakes, right? And be willing to make those mistakes and sometimes suffer the consequences to learn deeply how these skills are really meant to be used. So so again, in, in some way there, we're already talking about what do we bring forward? How do we work with it respectfully? Um, yes, if you're invited in to visit other cultures and have the honor of being present in other people's rituals and ceremonies, priceless, beautiful. You know, be gracious, be grateful, and don't assume any of that is yours to take home. I mean, these are cultures where somebody's life story is their own and you don't have the right to tell that either. I mean, imagine where we would be in social media if people honored that boundary. There wouldn't be any because there'd be no blah, blah, blah to talk about. You know, you'd have to actually honestly tell your own story. So anyway, I'm digressing. So back to your question. So what I feel the second wave in is because this first reawakening is, is kind of like, oh my God, I have a helping spirit. Oh my God, my helping spirit could actually give a good answer to Carrie. Like, oh my God, that is really like, wow, this works. Let's try this. Let's see if this works. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. There's also a place, though, where people are still coming out of a contemporary, educated, academically educated life experience that's based on separation from God, you know, the Judeo-Christian sort of Muslim separation from God paradigm, and coming at it going, wow, this, this could really work. Okay. <laughs> and now, mm-hmm. yes, it works. And we have huge cultures of people that happen to be people of color that already know that it works. Right. Right. Oh, we don't really need to reprove all this. We actually need to jump in with both feet, which means we have got to deal with the way we carry forward, even unconsciously, the big lie of separation that I am separate from God. I am separate from the oneness, which is fundamental to religious thought religious philosophy. And that is the place in which we are not shamanic. And so for me, that is the foundation of this second wave of people who have been in their practice humbly and honestly, you know, groping around trying to figure it out with their helping spirits, receiving great answers from helping spirits, embodying those answers, that they're coming to a place of their own sovereignty and relationship with spirit that's healthy and good boundaries with spirit even, and they can say, okay, I can let go of this big lie that has shaped my life and I can trust that I am part of this oneness and behave that way. And so the second wave of shamanism is really no longer testing to see if shamanism works, always testing our helping spirits to see if they're gonna give us the right answer or can we prove that answer, et cetera, but just accept it as the system that we all do have helping spirits. And we all as adults should be working in responsible working relationship with them and having some influence from our helping spirits and how we, how we parent, you know, how we make choices about the work that we want to do in the world, how we're going to spend our money, 
You know, we vote every day with our dollars. We're voting our whole life with our dollars. We vote in the United States every four years. That's nothing compared to what you're doing with your money every day. All of this. You know, the helping spirits in my life inform all of that. So that to me is part of the second wave is how do we start being, we go from being contemporary people doing cool shamanic things to being shamanic people in the contemporary world, recognizing, wow, there is big cultural illness here. How do I become part of that medicine? Even if that means I have to sacrifice things that I want, because that is the biggest problem with the Western world. It's wanting whatever you want, whenever you want it, however you want it and expecting that you should, the world should give that to you. And one of the fundamental parts of recognizing you're part of the oneness is a certain responsibility in that closed system of energy to be part of how that energy cycles, which means you can't be this place of just um, sucking up all the energy. You have to be part of the sacrifice as well. You have to be giving. And so the second wave is about, wow, this works. I have skills. I need to behave as a grown up. I brought unique genius in this world because every single human being did. So I need to live every day in a way that supports that unique genius in myself and others, all life. And then we need to work together to bring that genius in to become the medicine for these huge cultural issues that we share. Whether we perceive of ourselves as part of the problem or not, it's still our problem as in humanity's family. And so this to me is where I wish I saw more of the kind of neo-shamanism movement moving, which is away from inventing the next cool workshop because that is endless. Shamanic exploration is endlessly cool and interesting and transformative. Yes, it's all fabulous. And so what? To what end? When is it just this selfish, self-exploration and you haven't really thought why am i here what is my place and how do i give this 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 piece of the medicine to the world as many possible ways as i can and as deeply as i can and as collectively as i can before my time is done because our time is like that you know we are the living for a very short time And we don't get do-overs for this genius of this life. And so if we don't do it in this life and use spirit to help us do that genius in the world, not just because I want to express my soul's purpose, but because I want to express my soul's purpose in a way that the world is a better place for my grandkids' kids, that there is a world here that supports human life for my grandkids' kids. This is huge. And so to me, that is my focus, at least, in this, what I am considering the kind of second wave, which it's no longer really interesting that you have this fabulous journey with Bear Spirit, and I'm going to sit in Journey Circle and listen to you go on and on and on about your long journey. I want to know why it matters and what you're going to do with it. And that's all that matters. I don't really care that you had a big, beautiful journey with Bear Spirit. I mean, bless you, Bear Spirit, but what are we going to do? How are we going to do it differently? How are we in service? Exactly. Yeah. And most importantly, how do we parent this next generation differently? Because if we can change the dreams of the children, they will manifest a different reality naturally. And right now, if I was a child right now, 
I wouldn't make it out of the depression that I had when I was 12. I made it out, but the world wasn't quite so far to hell in its handbasket yet, right? And humanity is in a much worse off place now. And I would have a hard time as a young teen crawling out of the existential depression that I had today. And so this is our job as the adults is yeah. to address these big cultural issues. Yeah. So one, so one of the, the cultural issues is parenting. Um, and you had mentioned this uh, hunger for consumption, um, the grief that a lot of us hold um, for, for what's happening. And you had mentioned the, the opioid nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, I'm, I'm stepping into parenthood and I'm curious what you would say about what needs to cha- shift and change about how we parent yeah. children. So my, um, my, my sense about parenting comes entirely from 30 years of soul retrieval work and being able to observe what happens in parenting that unintentionally creates soul loss. You know, so I have a very biased perspective, which is try not to create soul loss in your kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no big deal. It seems like that should be obvious, but it's really, really not these days. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it's not is not just on the shoulders of the parents. Because when we look at it through the eyes of a coherent shamanic culture, which frankly, Westerners don't live in, <laughs> period. Okay, but mm-hmm. if we could... If we could see that, what we would see is that a parent, you know, a couple that is bringing children in the world has a community, a a culture, basically, they're bringing that child into that will help them to tend this big gate of this spirit coming into physical manifestation in the world. And we call that gate birth. That is a big deal. And it needs to be tended through ritual. There is another huge gate as that child matures from childhood to adulthood in their teen years. And so so there is often soul loss associated with what happened as contemporary people come through that gate of birth and what does and doesn't happen over the next five years, which most parents aren't educated at all to even be aware of is what is going on energetically for their child and how to show up for that. Like that's not part of the conversation parents get to have, but it's really important from a sense of not creating soul loss in your kids or from the positive perspective, creating a child that is supported to grow into their own energy and really allow their feel safe enough to allow their soul to really come in and inhabit their body and develop in their little kid body. Cause the soul is old, the kid body's not. And so that's, it's a tricky place for young children. Okay. So there's that gate. The next place things kind of go awry, even in a functional family is at initiation. There's a lot of soul loss that I address of kids knowing something's supposed to be happening and, there's no one who's going to do it for them. There there are very few adults, real adults in their life that they respect, that they want to grow up into. They look at the world and you go, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, not here. (laughs) You know, anything, but just not here because what I want to grow up to push paper in that big nameless corporation as a, as a middle level manager, or I want to be a mindless programmer that's programming a tiny, tiny piece of some massive code. I mean, those aren't dreams. 
those are jobs and they're, right. and they're fine jobs, right? But those aren't dreams. So how do we tend that gate that allows a kid to pass into adulthood successfully to begin to dream adult dreams? Because kid dreams are having what I want when I want it, however I want it. And that's natural for kids. That's where they are. That's how they're growing up. That's how they learn. It's not right for adults. That's really not a right orientation for adults. So that gate needs to be tended. And then that culture, see, and the, and the point is that wouldn't be on the shoulders of the two parents, whoever they might be, whether it's two men, two women, man and woman, I, it doesn't matter. The point is it's too much for two people to do. Your job is to keep the kid alive. Mm -hmm. Right. Just to get them into adulthood without dying. That's basically your job. And sometimes that effort is really at odds with making sure their soul is really cultivating in a rich way. It's tricky. Parenting's not <laughs> good luck, but it's a <laughs> deal. Right. And so then the next place is that would be made easier if we were tending the gate into elders, because in many shamanic yes. cultures, it's the elders that tend the kids, not the parents. Right. Parents work. Like they go do things that make life happen. And it's the elders that watch the kids because they're both closer to spirit. The kids just came from it and the elders are about to go there. But a lot of our elders are eh, pretty toxic or into dementia because, again, of cultural things we're not tending well. I, I mean, I consider what's happening to our elders or our lack of elders one of our great cultural illnesses. Yeah. And all of the many things that are allowing so many people to go into dementia in their old age, as if it's just assumed that's going to happen now. And that is not how it used to be. Right. Okay. And then the final gate, which would be really helpful for kids is tending the gate in death and making sure that people, once they're dead, their souls truly cross over and get out of here because the unresolved energy of the unresolved ancestors, the unwell ancestors is slamming into these generations being born these days really hard. It's, it's been untended for several thousand years now. And the momentum towards this kind of heart illness, mind illness that is, is, is brought forward from the lives of people just like you and me that just struggled against these impossible things and, and just, made some shitty decisions and those are what becomes their legacy. And they didn't want that. You know, they tried hard too, just like us, but then these, these legacies get handed down. Um, anyway, and the key, and that is part of what our children are inheriting. And so part of our job as adults, especially people like me who don't have children is to start to clean that mess up so that the kids aren't carrying this burden that has, they haven't even had a chance to make a choice yet. And they've already got a burden of poor choices that, that coming onto them from the ancestors. So as parents, one of the first things you could do is to begin to tend your own relationship with your well ancestors, to tend an ancestral shrine and task them daily, task them with lifting the unresolved energy of the ancestors off your child and keeping them safe. Keeping them safe is standard operating procedure for a true ancestral helping spirit but this extra effort of helping to lift this unresolved burden off these children would be one of the first things I would do from a shamanic tools sense to help your kids would be starting to, to work with that ancestral burden to lift it off them and then do what you can to begin to heal the unwell 
ancestors to get more and more and more of your ancestral legacy on the side of the good, true and beautiful ancestors that are supporting us. And I'm going like this because they're a huge uh, force of protection and helping things, even in this chaotic world we're in, to go right. Now, because things still fall into place for a lot of people. Why? I mean, partly because they cultivate a good relationship with life or with spirit. Spirit can still help us have things fall together instead of fall apart. You know, having things chronically fall apart is a shamanic illness. Everybody's all excited about soul loss and PTSD right now, and they're, they're, they're missing one of the most basic shamanic illnesses, which is just life always falling apart. That's considered a fundamental shamanic illness. Anyway, back to your question, kids. Kids are really important. So one would be setting up right relationship with the ancestors. The next thing that I would do is to fill their childhood with ritual and ceremony as a normal part of their everyday life so they do not grow up starving for that engagement. Now, as teenagers, they'll probably tell you you're crazy and stop doing it. But at least mm. they're arriving in their teenage years filled with a rich history of ritual and ceremony and they're not starving for anything because that is part of what fuels teenagers are going to explore but part of what pushes their exploration into dangerous realms is these deep hungers in them that are totally valid hunger for ritual hunger for a relationship with spirit a hunger for a relationship with their imagination and so as children, they need to be taught, you know, good energy body hygiene so they have good boundaries. And so that means your family has to deal with its codependency and its addiction and all that dynamic, all that dysfunction, that they have ritual and ceremony. They cultivate their own relationship with spirit, at least as a body protectors and spirit protectors. So they have some sense that I can take responsibility for the invisible part of my life. I am not just here being buffeted about by everybody else's stuff. So I did a... Um, a little piece with initiation with um, like 12, 13 year old girls across the board for these girls, the most important piece of the whole year long program we did for them was teaching them to ground, to connect into their energy body and to settle down before they took a test, before they did an audition, before they went on a date, before, you know, like before these things happened, that would get them, them excited or afraid and out, lift out of their bodies. Right, and to teach them skills. Now they're teenagers, they're going to forget those skills, but at least they're going to be there for them. If they don't get that as kids, they've got nothing in their teenage years but hunger. Mm. For love, hunger for spirit, hunger for intimacy, hunger for all these things that come out of having a childhood filled with these things. If you don't have it, you're just starving for it. And so you make really bad decisions driven by that hunger for things you have every right to want. So yeah, I, that, I love that you are, were sharing this with preteen and teenage girls. That's beautiful to me. It's a piece of the bigger vision for my my uh, most my closest in student community. Those that are learning the four year cycle teachings is that we want to be able to provide a service for the world, you know, kind of outside of our community, for tending these four gates: birth mm -hmm. and initiation and eldership and death. As a, as a service to provide basically humanity, whoever wants it, because it, we are a community that has that unique set of skills. And so that's, that's the big goal, really, of my um, student community, the closest in student mm. community. 
Mm-hmm. Because this is the answer to your question. I mean, we how how do we parent differently? What do we make important? And so back looping back to your first question about waves of shamanism, with your children, part of that ritual and ceremony can be really kind of or, an organic flowing relationship with the elements. You know, nobody owns water spirit. Everybody can have a relationship with water spirit relationship with the directions. If I have a relationship with the four directions, the four cardinal directions as a kid, if I have a big imaginary relationship with them, I draw them and I talk to them, then I will automatically begin as I get into my teenage years and older where my space is really being, boundaries are really being challenged. I have to learn to really stand up for myself and know who I am in the world. And I, I now have beings I can call in that I knew as a kid, I can call the north, south, east, west in to be my, you know, my outrigging energies that protect me as I learn to hold my boundaries myself. The kids love ritual. They love tending shrines. They love going to talk to the water shrine in the morning. They, they love playing. You know, it's wonderful if you have an ancestral shrine that you have a level the kids can reach where they can put things on the shrine and take things off and play with them and engage with the ancestors. I mean, it's really a very natural thing to do for children. And, and if we do that, they can hit their teenage years curious. Hopefully we've done our job as parents and they're compassionate, right? But they're not starving, mm-hmm. not absolutely starving for anything other than their own purpose because you want them hungry for their purpose because it's what should then drive them into their adult life. But the other thing, it's important that your kids, you know, hit early teenage years moving into their 20s knowing they have a purpose and that it's absolutely important and only they can do it. And a lot of kids don't know that they're just trying to figure out how to survive everything they had to do to get through their first, you know, 16 years with their family. Then that's not fair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm really enjoying this conversation about the four gates of life basically. And, um, and this, these ideas of what we can do to support children. And as you said um, earlier, the, one of the sicknesses that we have in our culture is around eldership. So I'm curious if you can touch on, are there ways that we can support elders? And um, when I think about eldership, I feel a little bit at a loss of Mm -hmm. how to support people and moving into that gate. And Mm -hmm. I kind of think about it as like, how do I become a good elder Mm -hmm. eventually? And I, I have ideas about how I can do that, but Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure how we can support people who are currently stepping into that gate or have already crossed over into eldership. So can you Mm -hmm. share a little bit about that? Sure. And I think the first idea about eldership, you know, if, if you want to be an elder and to be, in a sense, worthy of the respect we should pay our elders, you need to live an investigated life. Just getting old isn't really good enough, right? Because some people get old and their point of view gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're still reacting to things exactly the way they did when they were 14. And and, and, and they haven't investigated that. You know, they haven't done any internal reflection. They have no internal reflection practice. They don't necessarily 
engage with a bigger world than themselves to get perspective. Because one of the things that makes someone an elder, ideally because they've lived their life and done what they were uniquely here to do, and they feel confident that they've given that, you know, this whole drive, like I said, you know, for those kids, they should be hungry for their purpose when they're teenagers. As an elder, you should be have eaten that meal twice over, you know? It's good. (laughs) I did my thing and I know I did my thing. And so I can really begin to, to open to a bigger perspective, to see things in new ways with, with a larger perspective, maybe find a new way to bring my thing to the world that, you know, that is informed by that larger perspective. But all of that requires a great deal of self-reflection, internal, personal process to grow into our elder years as a more expansive being versus someone who's becoming, whose world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and more fearful. Um, And I would share, there's, um, I wish I could put my finger on the report, but now maybe 10 years ago, there was a lot of research around Alzheimer's and they were trying to figure out why certain populations had a really statistically low um, rate of Alzheimer's. And they found one of the smallest percentages was in nuns. Huh. And didn't really matter which religion, just nuns. And what's interesting about nuns in most religions is they are the people that are on the ground putting the teachings into practice. And so they're the ones that aren't up here with the philosophy of how this relationship with God works, but they're down here in the dirt with the people figuring out in this really shitty situation, how do we help God do its work here? You know, since most nuns are in relationship with God of, you know, some definition, right? But the point is, these are people who have grown into their elder years, constantly problem solving with this big perspective, this high idea, bringing God's love manifest in the world, but then having to get down to the brass tacks of how do we do that? What does that look like today with these people and the way they are suffering? How do we do that? And they stayed really young in their brains. Right. And so there's an aspect of really saying, if I want to be honored as an elder, I have to act like one. And that means I start now living a a self-reflected life and doing my own personal work so that I grow into that ever more expansive perspective. Now, in my in my adult life, I'm using that to help me hone my purpose. I give that gift. And now my job is to support others in giving their gift and and helping to perhaps heal more quickly than I needed to, to do it, to share that wisdom as well. And so that's a thing about elders is, you know, you don't, you're not really an elder just because you're old. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. So there's that piece. How did you live? And then for us, um, there is a man, Tom Pinkson, uh, who has written a beautiful book called Fruitful Aging. And so if anyone is really interested in how do I become an elder or how do I support others in becoming an elder, it is a, it is a really basic, non-appropriated way that people essentially without a healthy culture could begin to bring this practice in. And it really requires the elder, the person sort of um, wanting eldership, to do a process of reviewing their life and harvesting their gold really from their life and then being able to stand up in some kind of community event and say, this is my gift. This is what, this is my medicine. 
as an elder that I have to offer and to demonstrate it in some way or engage people in that medicine in some way, which then lays the groundwork for this ongoing relationship between the elder and the people. Um, and so it, it's really kind of a process, um, both for the person wanting to become an elder, but also for the elder, you know, becoming elder within their community, however they define that. And then the question really in our community is how do you, how do you as a, as a younger person come to an elder in a good way and ask them to share their medicine? That's, but like, that's the question we're trying to figure out now in our community. We have elders now, but how do we work with them in a respectful way? How do we support them? And that's, we don't know, you know, cause we're coming out of a broken culture trying to build that part into our culture. Right. Yeah, it seems like this is one of the questions mm -hmm. to be asked now. And there are so many questions because of our broken culture. And that sounds but like think of those them. Scandinavian communities that have like college students moving into the empty space in old folks' homes. Yeah, I saw how some wonderful that was. Daycares in old folks' homes. Yeah, and so it's an answer to your question though, without a whole lot of shamanic language. How a, how a country said, okay, let's see how this could work. How could these young people support these elders as elders and what would they receive in, in exchange? You know, versus people populating the universities of the United States that are basically drinking themselves into a stupor and taking drugs yeah. and partying. Yeah, that's a really good solution <laughs> to a few problems. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so my point is, even though I talk about elements and helping spirits and stuff, what it looks like in its form doesn't have to feel foreign or exotic or, you know, it, it can be really, really practical. And, and that is the thing I think that people miss because we're largely looking at other cultures for their shamanic practices is that they look exotic to us because they're speaking languages we don't understand, wearing clothing that are not normal for us, doing, you know, we, it's just different and it's exotic and it's powerful. And instead of realizing for those people, not so exotic, powerful. It's their everyday life. Yeah. It's their everyday life. And so how would, how do we bring our relationship with spirit into our everyday life? So for me, I swim every morning. I have a really great relationship with the water because every morning I'm in a water ritual with the pool and extending energetically from the pool to all of the bodies of water on the plant, you know, it, nobody knows I'm doing that. I'm just swimming, right? As far as anybody else is concerned. So it doesn't have to be this thing that, it shouldn't be this thing that is apart from your everyday life, but it's an awareness that is woven in to your everyday life. And, yeah, and, and it for you, really... you know, us, each of us, yeah, bringing in ritual and ceremony so we're not so hungry. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, um, one of my friends calls it a medicine show where it's mm -hmm. very fancy and, and people can see that you're doing a thing. Um, it's more about your personal relationship with the water and all the bodies of water. And yet there's, there are ways that we can teach each other and teach the children how to do mm -hmm. those types of rituals. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't also do formal rituals with invocations and offerings and all of that stuff as well. But if we had to do all of that every day, it, it wouldn't happen. Exactly. Right? And our practice is really what we do every day. 
not like we didn't get to our practice. We do our practice every day. It's whatever we do every day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I feel impacted by that. Mm -hmm. Just sitting with, with what you just said. And I like it. (laughs) Well, it's a good answer to your question of our, what we do with our children too, is helping them. Not that kids need to be doing a practice. They need to be being kids and being free to be kids, but that sense of, valuing their day. You know, what did you learn today? What was the most exciting thing today? What did you dream last night? You know, these kinds of questions that show them that you value their experience of their life. Um, yeah. So that they start to realize that what they're, what they're doing matters and how, and how they're doing it matters. Absolutely. how, How they're playing. Are they playing with curiosity and imagination and compassion for each other? Or are they just beating each other up? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I, as you were speaking about children, I was also aware of um, this idea of reparenting ourselves. Like how can we, those of us who don't have kids or um, who did have soul loss in our childhoods, how can we teach ourselves and reparent and treat ourselves as those children who didn't necessarily get what they needed or what they, um, what they were craving. Mm -hmm. How can we give that to ourselves now? Well, I, I, um, I personally lucked out in my early twenties and I, I utterly stumbled into, um, a cluster of really excellent teachers and I had just enough sense at that age because otherwise I was not really very conscious or aware, but I had just enough sense to recognize that what these different people were offering me, because they were all very different offering different things, but what they were offering me was really feeding that hunger that I felt and in some, in some ways validating that the hunger was real by giving me something that fed it and that so that I could really begin to learn some skills that could allow me to take what was basically a fairly wounded kind of dysfunctional childhood kind of way of approaching life and begin to do exactly what you're saying is figure out, you know, how do I actually create um, experience, internal experiences so that I can grow myself up and um, deal with the fact that my culture isn't going to do this for me. But if I want to do what I've come here to do, I have to figure out a way to do it for myself. And the truth is we don't do it for ourselves we do it for ourselves with the help of spirit, but we need to get to a place where we actually can open up with enough trust and intimacy and actual um, practice with spirit. So it's not just random big dreams or random visions, but it's actually this working relationship that is dependable that we can begin to really grow ourselves up. But what I would say is that really the strength or perhaps the uniqueness of what I've always taught in terms of the life skills and and the cycle teachings at last mass center is, is these are the skills you need to grow yourself up. (laughs) I mean, that's been my whole thing from the very beginning from day one, because as soon as I started doing soul retrieval work for people, which I didn't mean to diminish the value of earlier in our conversation, it's really powerful and important work as people integrated their soul parts and began to change, they did not have the life skills to go with being a healthier person. I saw that immediately. And so I began to take these things, these teachers had taught me, which I thought were just for me because I was such a mess. I didn't really realize 
that my own mess was a pretty universal human mess and mm-hmm. that these skills I had learned could be, can be translated through me now to these other people. And so I began 30 years ago with a whole course of weekend workshops that were all about gaining life skills to answer exactly your question, which is how do I um, grow myself up, essentially? How do I heal from these um, experiences in my normal, everyday, contemporary life. And I'm talking about the normal everyday ordinary reality dysfunction. I am not talking about children that are taken from their culture and raised in a boarding school or people that actually have crazy parents. I mean, this is real. These things are very common. And the more I did soul retrieval work, the more I realized what was going on behind closed doors in people's families was pretty horrific. Actually, I didn't have really any illusions anymore about that. Mm-hmm. Today, 30 years later, what that's boiled down to, mostly from a desire to have a greater reach in the world, as I move into my own eldership, you know, how can I have a larger impact, um, is I've moved those courses that I feel are essential for you to become an adult and do what you need to do to keep cultivating that adulthood. Um, I'm moving those basic practices because they're skills essentially into online courses and they, they, these live online courses. So one, it links you up with um, a group, a community that's practicing and studying the same thing. So you can partner up with people from all over the world and it really helps people realize they are not alone, that their issues, even their worst issues are not only theirs And that people literally from all over the world, different cultures, different everything, suffer exactly the same way and are happy to hold space for you to heal and that you hold space for them to heal. And that this can be done at a distance just like we are right now. And that that to me is an amazing aspect of the time that we're in. And so for me, there's a fundamental cultivating energy body mastery and how to keep constantly clearing the things that you find that you carry within yourself that keep you from excellent energy body hygiene. And those are both things you are doing to yourself unconsciously, but you are doing it. And the result of things that have been done or things that happened in your environment. So those would be things like soul loss, creating shadow selves and the unresolved ancestral energy that we talked about, you know, a need for, external um, intervention in your healing to help you get back to the things you can actually heal yourself. So um, energy body mastery, which is just the hygiene piece, energy body clearing, which is the clearing piece, and then advanced energy body clearing. Once you gain those skills, how you can start working with more complex patterns, more complex internal patterns, which we all have because we have, um, we had soul loss and then we adapted and then we had a great year in third grade. And then all of a sudden the fourth grade was horrible. And then, you know, so, so our stuff is woven together in complex ways. It's not just a simple, I was great. And then I had soul loss and I just need that soul part back. That's Mm -hmm. the old days. That's back to that very original wave of shamanism. We don't have that world anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's online courses around energy body mastery and energy body clearing People can learn shamanic skills if they choose to, um, but I'm also interested in doing what I can to use what I understand about shamanism to give people a format 
to do the healing even if they don't want to buy the whole car. <laughs> if they don't want to buy into the whole shaman thing because everybody needs these skills to heal no matter where you're coming from. So then the next one would be, I have a shadow transformation protocol for transforming shadow selves that is very unique and different from what most, pe most people are doing through a psychological perspective, which is just frankly very hard and long. The, and the um, psychological perspective is hard and long? Of doing sh shadow transformation is right. very hard and long. It takes a great deal of courage to basically do it that way. And shamanic skills are actually lend themselves to bring doing shadow transformation in a way that is actually more um, joyful and not so arduous and not so long. It's just a different perspective about what shadow is from, from a mechanical perspective of how do we undo that dynamic and repair it and transform it. So that's, that was actually the new innovation this year for the online courses. And the next year's innovation is going to be an ancestral healing piece in the online course, which is going to be, um, again, staying in that valid skills for everybody, even if they don't want to become shamanic practitioners. But it is also going to say, you know, we've all got some ancestral issues. You really need a practitioner who's skilled to deal with. And that's the reality of all of our situation is to learn internally to discern, when is this me and my need to, to clear my old childhood wounded pattern and make new choices now? And when is that pattern still in place because of soul loss, right? Mm -hmm. When is this me just not stepping up into using my power in a new way and being lazy and being habitual about it? Or when is this a shadow energy pattern, a pattern that's being propagated because it's still in shadow and I need help rescuing that shadow so I can transform it. When is this me and, and my own need to clear my, funky thinking, you know, change your mind, change your life. That's a real thing. You know, when is that me needing to do this or have I really done that, but I just keep getting hijacked by my ancestors and can I do that healing or do I need help? So that discernment is something we all need to develop. And so the last thing I'll say about these online courses is my goal is to give human beings a skill that they can use with or without shamanic skills and the ability to discern when do I ask for help and who do I ask? Is this a job for a, a good therapist or is this a job for a good shamanic practitioner? Is this a job for my naturopath because I really need to change my diet? Mm -hmm. They're all real. They're all real possibilities. Yeah. And I think this is tying back to what we talked about in the very beginning when you were speaking about the massage therapist versus the sh shamanic practitioner versus the, the medicine person. Um, and there are different functions of different healers that we can honor. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you brought up all of your new online courses that are happening. And I'm wondering if you can share where people can find those courses and where people can find out more about you. So the main, yeah, the main website is lastmaskcenter.org. And I'll link and, that in the show, show notes. Thank you. And then people can get on a mailing list through there. The website is actually behind the scenes in the process of a big overhaul to catch up with all the online courses. Um, but if you're on the mailing list, you, you be given notice of when the courses are starting. It, they, they run annually. And so 
you know, you get notified each year when it, when it runs again. And once you've paid for it, you're welcome to retake it as many times as you want to, which is kind of a interesting feature, but they're all paths of mastery. So coming back to it from a different learner readiness means you, you learn a whole different thing. And I think that's important um, to make that really easily available to people. And then you can also find on the website, not only access to me as a shamanic practitioner, but also, you know, healer, uh, but you can also find access to the four-year program, um, which is then entry into my um, shamanic community. Yeah. Wonderful. And that um, the four-year program takes place up in Portland. Is that right? No, actually it, um, it takes place in different retreat centers. Okay. Um, and some of them are right now in a retreat center in Arizona, and some of them are at a retreat center in Washington. And so those um, require traveling to the retreat center once a year. And for people that have a big burden of travel, like they don't live in the North America, for example, that we give an option for remote participation for the, um, there's, a, there's always a week and a long weekend. So for the long weekend, people who would be traveling from a whole you know, another country, um, have the option to do it at a distance. Okay, great. So on the lastmaskcenter.org, which I'll link in the show notes, people can sign up for the mailing list to find out more about the yearly online courses. They can find out information about your shamanic um, practitioner practice, and mm -hmm. they can also find out about the four-year program. So um, those are all ways to find Christina. Yeah. And then the final thing would be what you already found, which is whyshamanismnow.com, which is the whole archives of all the 450 plus hours of podcasts about applying shamanism to your daily life. Yes. I highly recommend the podcast. I'll also um, link that in the show notes as well. I've learned so much from you from the podcast and Thank you so much for generously sharing on this podcast. I, I'm surprised at everything that we, we touched on. We touched on ancestral healing. We touched on the four gates of initiation. We touched on um, soul retrieval and the different waves of shamanism, um, energy body hygiene. We, we kind of have condensed your podcast library into a short <laughs> podcast here, it seems like. So thank you so very much. And I hope everyone enjoyed. Thank you, Carrie. It's been an honor to be with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this episode. If you got value out of it, please take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. It's my favorite place to play. Tag me, Carrie. I hope this interview inspired you. I'll put any relevant links in the show notes at therisecollective.org. That's also where you can find past episodes, my weekly blog, and any products for sale at therisecollective.org. While you're there, you can download the Guide to Feminine Goal Setting and learn how to work in harmony with folk magic and the rhythms of the earth. Hundreds of women have used this method to weave magic into their lives. It's a simple guide and it'll help you move forward towards your soul's purpose. If you love the show, please leave a review, subscribe in whatever app you listen to podcasts, and consider supporting its production at patreon.com slash risecollective. I can't do this project alone. There are lots of costs associated with it. And if you believe that the voices of our indigenous elders and the wisdom keepers and the light bringers of the world 
need a platform to reach more people, please become a patron. It's very worth your while and it's very affordable at just $3 a month. At that level, you'll get gifts from podcast guests. You'll get all my exclusive bonus interviews, bonus resource guides, audios, meditations, videos. And if you are interested in the bonus for this episode, it is a shamanic skills mini course. So you can access that at the $3 a month level. Thank you so much for listening and I'm looking forward to next time.